Hello, and welcome to this little fireside chat here as part of the FreightWaves Autonomous and Electric Vehicle Summit. I thought I'd be appropriate and go right next to an actual fireplace. With me today is uh, Michael Ramsey, uh, Vice President and Analyst at Gardner Research Group. Um, covers eco-mobility, autonomous vehicles, all kinds of things in the evolution of the automotive industry. And Michael, it's good to see you again and speak with you again. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good. It's, it's nice to talk to you, Sebastian. It's been a bit. <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know that uh, coming up soon is the Chicago Auto Show, which is both the last show I went to and now will be the first show I go to now that we're sort of uh, getting back into the swing of things. So we're looking forward to seeing your face and other faces as we get back out in the world. But today, we're, we're doing things virtually. And um, for people who don't know, you know, I, I brought a, a few things up about your your not field of study, but the things you, you, you research and the number of automotive topics that you cover for a gardener, everything from, again, autonomous and electric vehicles, but connected and digital ecosystems, um, and also ways for OEMs to possibly monetize these sort of things in the future. Um, with that sort of broad of a brief, how do you choose what to focus on? There's just so much to cover these days. What gets your interest up, really? Uh, it's interesting because, so, you know, Gartner as a company um, was really created to help the IT industry. Uh, so um, technology that is not traditionally associated with automobiles or even physical moving things. Um, over time, what happened is that the auto industry and every industry became a technology industry. And so if you think about the stuff that we cover, a lot of it is not in the car itself. It's in, you know, in the cloud or, or the connection into the vehicle and, you know, artificial intelligence, which is obviously how you, um, you know, move an autonomous vehicle is through artificial intelligence. So that blend is how a firm like Gartner is getting closer and closer to the auto industry and how we're, you know, starting to. Uh, pick up areas. So I don't try to compete with the folks who, you know, are doing a lot of engineering focused um, or product focused, uh, you know, research. I do things about, um, you know, how does your connected car app work? How does that lead into better business and com consumer experience? How does that change your business model? You know, how do, how do you make that technology work? Um, and with autonomy, I, personally have uh, focused a lot on business models. Um, we, of course, look at the technology and how the different companies are advancing there. But the, the way that we differentiate, I think, is that we try to tie together um, different parts of the business with, you know, cities, with governments, with, you know, insurance companies and the way that Gartner is set up, it's easier for us to do that than, you know, maybe some of the other research firms. So we, you know, I, that's how I think that we would be different and how I choose topics is honestly, it, it is very directly related to what our clients are asking us, you know? So if I get a lot of questions in a subject area, that's how I end up doing research in that area. Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. I know the, the audience for this particular seminar has a lot of interest in heavier duty vehicles, not as much as passenger cars. Um, obviously, these sort of autonomous and electric technologies are coming to vehicles of all size, from tiny scooters to large Class A trucks. Um, watching the evolution of EVs for the last 15 or so years, and then also now we're getting into some of the electric trucking options, it seems it feels like to me that the trucking world and electrification is a little bit behind, maybe a decade, maybe less uh, than it is for passenger cars. 
Um, would you say that's accurate? What What would you say the the delay is, if there is any? And um, how far ahead or behind are even things like autonomous trucks compared to autonomous passenger cars? Yeah, well, let's start with electrification. I think that on electrification trucks, especially the class eight trucks, it it has been a very big challenge to imagine how you can make this work in the full range of uh, settings that a class eight truck needs to work in. If you set up a very specific situations where you're doing kind of more short haul trucking, um, it can work really well and, and actually be a really good application. But the minute you say, hey, I've got to haul 80,000 pounds over the continental divide, you know, EVs just don't make a lot of sense. And the cost to do it, the weight, all the dynamics right now don't set up. So in a lot of ways, they are significantly farther behind in terms of what class eight trucks need and what 3PLs and other you know logistics companies need for that to work. But I don't probably need to tell you that in the uh, package delivery, in the last mile delivery or mid mile delivery, there's a huge amount of promise. And I think frankly, a, a lot of development and um, even production intent uh, in that area. And it might be the actual area where electrification takes off um, the most quickly because it, you know you have shorter routes, you have a lot of stop and go where EVs range is amplified instead of uh, reduced it, like it is in a diesel engine. And you have... Um, a real strong desire to limit sound and near to the ground pollution that EVs, um, you know, have benefits. So I actually think that in long haul trucking, for sure, EVs are at least five to 10 years behind consumer vehicles. Um, in short haul trucking and package delivery, I think that we're actually, they may be even from a commercial standpoint ahead of consumer vehicles. Um, and, and I certainly see that a lot. And, and I just want to add, throw in from our client base, um, the amount of interest that I am personally getting from clients about electrification for logistics fleets is huge. I mean, so big companies, uh, consumer goods companies, logistics companies, they're asking the question about electrification. What's out there? What is available? When is it coming? When is it realistic? When is it going to tip over into a mass market? What's the charging availability? You know, what markets should we be going into first to try to do this? So those questions are being asked by big consumer goods companies. Um, and the reason they're being asked is because their board is telling the CEO, we want you to get to net carbon neutral by X. And your salary or your bonus is based on hitting that target. Yeah. Are there any companies that you wanted to, to call attention to as doing a particularly good job in this, this various ways to introduce electrification? I know there's so many examples, you know, in various states of test, testing and, and you know, vehicle sizes. But when, when people ask you what's out there, what's possible, what is, what is something they should be looking at, who do you point them to? Well, uh, I have to be very careful because I'm not allowed to talk about who any of my clients are. You can kind of speculate on some of them, but you know some of the public ones that are out there. So DHL, I, I like to use them as a an example. Not that FedEx and UPS haven't made huge investments in um, you know electrification and, and alternative energy vehicles, but DHL 
has done something different. They have gone and set their CEOs basically bonus and, and performance targets now include metrics related to reducing greenhouse gas. Um, personally, I find that to be uh, the kind of thing that could be extremely influential on the impact. I hate to be reductive down to people's personal finances, but I think that there, there's a reality there that if the CEO, the big metric they're being measured on is greenhouse gas reduction, then you can count on the fact that that's going to be a priority for them. So um, I anticipate that they that you're going to see a lot of um, you know novel things coming from that company. Um, and and honestly, you know, for this audience, even I would say that is something that you should really think about um, as a you know potential uh, thing to look at, which is what companies have publicly said that their CEO is going to, um, you know, have to have new metrics to follow to get to, you know, higher electrification or uh, automation. Mm -hmm. And one of the technologies that I think can really help electric vehicles, at least on the, the passenger side right now, is called plug and charge, which you're probably familiar with. But I'll explain it for uh, viewers who, who don't know. It's, it's kind of like the Tesla model. They've had it for a long time with their superchargers. Um, your car basically saves your payment information and it's able to communicate with the charging station. So when you plug it in, if you have if the car and the station are both plug and charge capable, it just gives you the charge that you need and it automatically charges your credit card or whatever account you have connected to it. Um, it's now coming on some of the, the EVs like the Mach-E and Mercedes EQX, um, uh, the Audi e-tron, F-150, Lightning. There's a lot of things happening in the passenger space. And I heard recently that companies like MAN and Scania, they're also looking at this technology for their larger vehicles. Is that something that you think would really help um, spread uh, adoption of EVs amongst these companies? Or because a lot of them might have a, a fleet-based, you know, like a, a depot-based system where the trucks return at night that they maybe own their own chargers, that sort of technology is not as important? Or is this really something that could be a, a value to, to these last-mile delivery companies or others? There's a couple of things mixed in there that I actually think are really interesting. First of all, the the first part of what you said, the storing the payment information in the vehicle itself is almost a separate technology, but the electrification market is a big beneficiary of that technology, or I should say maybe it's something that helps promote that technology. But storing payment capability in the vehicle or the car itself or the truck itself um, makes the payment has a lot of advantages. There's safety advantages. Um, there's also, um, you know, anti-theft or misuse advantages. Where basically the vehicle, um, you know, uh, can't be. They can't like so. A lot of vehicles are now use fuel cards. Um, sometimes there's uh, misuse of fuel cards um, with uh, payment capabilities in the vehicle uh, to plug and charge. Uh, you can imagine that that essentially eliminates that fraud. Even if it's not a large amount, it's something. Um, and then the secondary thing about having a system where there's reciprocity essentially between all these charging networks so that when you plug in, you do not have to sign up or sign in. Um, there, I would say not only is this a good technology, it's essential to making electric vehicles work at all. I mean, imagine as we sit now with 
um, gas vehicles, if you could only go to one out of every five gas stations, because that was the gas station that had the nozzle that fit in your, you know, uh, gas tank, you know, that would, that would not be a good solution. Now, granted, many people are going to be charging at their own homes or at their own depots, but I still think that, um, you know, plug and plug and charge or along with a stored payment capability is a huge advantage uh, and something that would definitely drive um, more adoption and make it um, you know more popular and, and usable for sure. Sure. Yeah. Let's get back to uh, autonomous trucks. And there's so many examples of different tests that are happening. There's you know stories of moving beer through Colorado. I don't remember all the details now, but trucks running sort of in platoons um, where the first truck is, is actually driving and the other ones are just sort of following. Um, given all these different models and different ways to, to test the AVs in the, in the trucking world, uh, what do you think are the best sort of uses for autonomy uh, with a larger vehicle? Yeah, you know, a, a, autonomous trucking is, 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 you probably remember five, six years ago, robocabs were everything, right? That was the that was where all the money was being invested and a lot of the ambition around autonomous vehicles. Um, that sort of shifted, I think, uh, a couple of years ago to much more of a logistics focus. It went hand in kind of glove with, with continuing explosion of last mile delivery and package delivery and, and order on demand. So we've seen so much demand from the trucking space uh, that I, I think that you've seen a lot of the vendors that are building these solutions start to do that pivot. So Aurora, Waymo, um, some of the guys that were doing robocabs originally started to, to spin up trucking operations. Um, and then there have been some, some you know, say older startups or ones that were focused originally on, on trucking that have matured. Like Too Simple is the probably the largest, certainly the best funded, um, of those and it continues to expand where it is operating. There's some nice things about trucking uh, that make them good for um, a, a good use case. The profession is dangerous. Um, the cost is relatively high, you know, in terms of paying uh, the driver and there's a, uh, a functional labor shortage and you might be able to increase output meaning, you know, run much longer routes and, you know, uh, essentially capacity utilization is better with a, an autonomous truck driver, essentially. So there are some big advantages there. Plus, the domain is easier. Highways, especially in the middle of the country, are flat, straight, not a lot of turns, easy domain. So the opportunities are good in that area. The the problem I see with autonomous trucking, and I'm just going to straight say straight out, is do we really need it? Okay. And just like with robocabs, there we've definitely reached a stage where we're showing we can do it. And there are a number of companies that can do it. But when it comes down to it, do we really need it yet? Um, and I don't think that we are at that point. And so the market to me is more speculative around autonomous trucking than, you know, maybe some people are saying where where autonomy is already taking off uh, is in distribution centers or distribution yards or in, you know, very short distance. Um, autonomy is is quite valuable. 
and I fully anticipate that that is actually going to be where we see autonomy uh, proliferate because it's dangerous. There's a labor shortage. There's a need, um, and you have much more controlled environment. So it's my guess is you're going to see autonomy take off in you know Amazon warehouses and nearby and and you know ports and airports uh, and trucking will come you know in the next 10 years, but it's probably going to be in very small increments. Mm -hmm. My last question also looks forward into the future of the next 10 years. And I'll be honest, I have, it's been a while since I've paid close attention to the things that are happening with hydrogen powered large vehicles. I remember going to the Nikola launch many years ago, and I know Hyundai has been working on their, I, forget, I don't think I've ever said it out loud, but whatever starts with an X, <laughs> X efficient or something, uh, uh, hydrogen powered truck. Um, but what, what's been getting your attention with hydrogen and large vehicles these days? You know, it, I would say poor Nikola, but what well, you know, Nikola's had its its issues in terms of um, credibility with it, its founder and, yeah. and the you know sort of uh, setback with GM. However, I find I find Nikola's business model quite interesting in terms of producing its own hydrogen and creating a fueling network. Um, that's the big hangup. You know, we've been through this before. The big trucks, there was a big push to put in, um, you know, compressed natural gas, um, fueling infrastructure, as well as trucks. It just never ended up taking off because the price of natural gas and the price of diesel, you know, the it didn't just didn't work. Well, there's a whole lot more natural gas fueling infrastructure than there is hydrogen. And secondarily, hydrogen is maybe the most common element in the universe, but currently it is extremely expensive relative to gasoline. So even if we do transition, you're basically talking about a much higher cost to use that fuel. All of that said, okay, so now that I gave you all the caveats, um, if the hydrogen fueling infrastructure is in place and you can produce it relatively cheaply, which and I can tell you again, I can't name names, but there are some rather large companies that are looking into things like hydrogen production on top of their distribution centers. So if you have a 4 million square foot distribution center and you have solar panels and you can create through um, solar, essentially hydrogen on your own and then fuel your trucks with hydrogen, the this starts to make sense in it very quickly, right? You, you can, um, you know, radically reduce your carbon footprint. You can produce your own fuel. It's even cheaper than electricity. You know, um, so I I think that there's a good chance, that especially in the heavy trucks, that we do start to see some real applications with hydrogen um, in the next 10 years. But that's about the envelope for the companies I'm talking to. They are, they're sticking it out in the sand somewhere in 2030 which unfortunately has been the story on hydrogen ever since I started covering it, which is it's a technology that's always five or 10 years away, no matter what you're, you're, you're talking about. Well, uh, that, that, that's all the time we have today. Um, as, as we close today, we just imagine the roar of the crowd thanking you for your participation here. Again, Michael Ramsey, uh, VP and uh, analyst at, at Gartner, thank you so much and uh, 